Tonight we're going to finish uh, this series, Christian Atheists. If you have a Bible, open to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, um, and we'll, be in, we'll start in chapter 5, kind of the middle of chapter 5. So we've been talking about in this series all the ways in which our confession about who we say we are and the actual way that we live our lives are not aligned. Like there's this real dichotomy. And I realize that there's people in the room and you'd say, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a follower of Jesus. You know, somebody invited me or maybe I'm just trying to check all this out. I really don't even know what any of this stuff is or what it means. And for you, I just want you to say, I, I really, one, I'm so stoked that you're here. But two, I want you to track um, it, the best that you can because this series um, gives you like something to hold us accountable to. Um, because this is like a revelation uh, of saying, okay, guys, we have said this about ourselves, um, but we don't live out like what we're, what we're saying. Uh, and so if, if, you're, if you're not a Christian, you're just kind of like peering into all this, this gives you some accountability towards us um, who do say that we're followers of Jesus. So I love that you're here. Wait, but, but basically what we've been looking at is that, you know, we say that we love Jesus or we say that we follow Jesus but we don't spend time with him. We don't spend time with his family. We, we had a message on, 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 on community. Um, we say we love him, but we're not fully committed to him or we don't trust him in every area of our life. There's only certain areas where Jesus gets to have lordship or authority over us, but not every single area. And, and it's not about, this series has never been about, it's not about us doing things so that God will love us more or accept us more. It, it's actually about doing these things because of how we're loved and accepted by God in, in Christ Jesus. And, and when we live lives that are fully committed and fully surrendered to him, we experience the absolute waterfall of grace and the joy of, of his presence. And, and what we've been looking at and what we've, where we've kind of arrived every week is that, look, it really makes no sense to be a Christian atheist. It, it, it would be like if I said, I, I love my wife, but then you guys, you see me out on dates with other women. There's a lot of assumption in this illustration, but just track with me, right? And and you and if you came up to me, you're like, Paul. I thought I thought you were I thought you were married. I thought you loved Lauren, and 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 I thought you made commitments, and I thought you made promises to her. And, and if I said to you, well, well, I I do love her, and I did vow a bunch of stuff to her, but I really want to be with these other women as well. Well, you you'd say that's that's not acceptable. That's that's out that's outrageous. And, and rightly so. That's how you should respond to that. But if I'm up here and I'm like, guys, I'm, I'm just really struggling with, you know, spending any time in the word or I'm, I'm really struggling spending any time in, in prayer or I, I, I really don't spend any other time with any other believers in, in any kind of community. I don't spend any time like witnessing or sharing my faith or what Jesus has done in my life with people that are not yet Christians. You'd kind of understand You'd, like, give me a pass. You'd be like, yeah, I get it. You know, it's me too. I'm, I'm kind of there. But the reality is it's, it's actually even more outrageous for me to live disconnected from the one who saved my soul than it is to me, for me to live disconnected from my wife. But it's like an acceptable kind of way of being for us to not live fully committed 
lives as Jesus followers. Our, our confession of being a follower of Jesus, it means something. And tonight, I want to talk about what it means for us in terms of the, of the mission that God has for us. God is, is reaching out into the world. He's drawing people to himself, and he's calling us to participate with him in that activity. And if we say that we follow Jesus, if we say that we love Jesus, he's inviting us into that. If you say that you love Jesus, if you say that you follow Jesus, then the point of your life is to point people to Jesus. So why don't we do this? I'm going to give us four things, because I, I, I think we have a lack of clarity around, around four things, and these four things all start with the letter M. It's what's known as an alliteration in the business. Um, and so if you're taking notes, it would be easy. But, I, but I, think, I think we have a lack of clarity in our mentality. I think we have a lack of clarity in, in the, the message. We have a lack of clarity in the mission, and we have a lack of clarity in our motivation. But before we go any further, before we um, really get into God's word, let's just take a moment to stop and pray and really ask um, that God would do what only he can do in the next moment, and that is to really just speak to us and that God would um, enlighten our hearts and our minds and incline our hearts and minds towards him and, um, and his, way of, his way of living. So let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for another moment. God, you are um, the God who provides, and you provide um, everything that we need. You provide everything that we need physically. God, you provide for us um, emotionally, God, and you provide for us in incredible ways and in the utmost ways, God, spiritually. And so I thank you for a night that you've given us, a space that you've given us, your word that you've given us. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that is here. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come. I pray, God, that we would have an awareness of your presence and your power. God, I pray that all the things that are distracting us, um, all the things that are making noise in our minds and in our hearts, God, that you'd silence them, that you'd quiet them. Um, God, that we would indeed be still and know you. God, I, I pray that you would illuminate your word. God, that it would truly be a light, God, that would lead us. Um, God, I pray tonight that our hearts would be in tune and be aligned with your heart. And God, that we would love the things that you love. God, that our desires would be the same as what you desire. Um, Jesus, I pray that you would take your rightful place tonight. God, that we would truly see you uh, as Lord of all. I love you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, is where we're going to where we're going to start. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So this is a a real letter written to um, a real group of people by uh, a man named Paul um, who was a a follower of Jesus um, and a, a missionary um, for, uh, for the gospel of Jesus. Let me, let me start in, in chapter 5, verse 16, um, and then we'll read down into chapter 6 a little bit. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. And all this, he says, is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, 
not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Are you trying to throw me off with that? <laughs> I powered through it. Normally, that would mess me up. I didn't that time. All right. So, yeah, he does have a better voice. should have let him read it. Um, at least it was a Bible app, not like... Um, all right, so four things we need clarity in. The first is that we need clarity in our, clarity in our mentality. And what, what Paul is showing us in, the, in this passage here, and, and, and here's what you've got to understand about Paul. He was a Jewish Pharisee, which was a, a Jewish religious leader, and, and the Jews had real issues with the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, are that's essentially anybody who's a non-Jew. And so Paul lived under the strict rule that he really was not supposed to have any association with those who were non-Jews or who were, who were Gentiles. Well, then Paul encounters the gospel. Paul encounters Jesus and, and, and flips that. So where Paul in the past was always looking at the outside and was always kind of concerned with like what the outside, and because of what, what was on the outside, that kept him a distance at people, um, at the physical. Paul, his whole like mentality has shifted to where now he looks at the, at the spiritual. And this is something that needs to happen to us as well. We need, we need a, a shift because I think so often we have the wrong mentality about people who do not yet follow Jesus. A lot of times, Christian communities, um, they can look like sponges that are always soaking but never being wrung out. Like, there are some Christian communities and some Christians who they're, all they ever do, like, they, they, uh, like I go from Bible study to Bible study to Bible study. I'm in Christian school. I'm at Christian school. I'm a Christian uh, school group. I'm on my campus organization. All my friends are only Christians. I only eat at Chick-fil-A, whatever. Like, I'd, I'm on, like, I'm only saturated in, like, Christian things. Well, well, sponges that only, only soak in water and never get wrung out, they get moldy. And, and, and gross. Have you ever been around a group of people that are just like super infatuated in themselves? Like they're just only about themselves. They're like, they're like us four in a circle, no more kind of thing. Have you ever been to a party or, or, or a bar and there's like that couple in the corner that's like making out, like full on, like making out, slow necking in the corner and like totally oblivious to everybody else in the whole party the whole like place and you're like that's just like so gross they're just totally unaware of anybody else in the, in the thing here's the issue there are a lot of times where people will come to church or they'll come to come some kind of thing like this and they experience that like they find churches and people that are just infatuated with themselves and totally oblivious to and have no perspective on a watching world that is dying and broken and and hurting like right now, I don't know, maybe you're all aware of this and I'm, and I'm wrong, but right now there's massive humanitarian crisis in the world. In, in Haiti, the price of fuel, which the, everything in their world runs on, on fuel. The price of fuel is 200, 300% higher. They're, they're riding in the street. I mean, these are people like you and me that just want to either go to school or do their job or try to improve their life in some way. 
in, in northern Syria, there's a, a full-on war breaking out. Hundreds of thousands of people, men, women, children, are being displaced, murdered. There's crisis, and there's global crisis. There's, there's crisis in your neighborhood. There's crisis in your apartment complex. There's crisis in your coworker. There's crisis in the lives of people in this room. But sometimes we're just so inward focused that we are totally oblivious to what's going on. In, in Mark chapter 2, there's this scene where Jesus is, the, Mark says he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. And sinners is just a big bucket of all kinds of people who are doing bad stuff. Um, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders at the time, they get really bent out of shape. And they're like, why are you with them? And what Jesus says is what Jesus always says, like, these are the people that I came here to be with. And what he's showing us is that he's able to look past people's sin to see their need. So, so don't be surprised that people who don't know Jesus don't live a life centered on the ways of Jesus. I think sometimes we condemn people who don't know Jesus for not living like Jesus people. Don't be surprised when sinful people sin because what's visible is a symptom of what's spiritual. And it's never us versus them. I don't know how this has crept into the church, but, but it, it, there is this kind of mentality that someone who doesn't follow Jesus is, is our enemy. Someone who doesn't follow Jesus isn't our enemy. They are held captive by the enemy. We don't war against them. We move towards them in compassion and hopeful expectation. With God, the impossible is, is always possible. No one is too far from the reach of Jesus. So the first thing is we need clarity on our mentality. We need clarity on the way that we see those who do not yet know Jesus. The second thing is we need clarity in our message. There needs to be clarity in our message. Verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is, is here. I was reading this this afternoon, and this verse I've always loved this verse, but this verse just kind of caught fire once again for me. And if there's anyone here tonight, then the whole reason that you're even at something like this is because you're just looking for a fresh start in your life. This verse, this truth is for you. Because what it's showing us is something that's beautiful. It, it's saying that no matter what past or present circumstances or situations or failures or messes, no matter what you've been, uh, uh, what you've done, what's been done to you, what's been said about you, what you say about yourself, whatever's causing guilt, whatever's causing shame, whatever's causing regret in your life, what this verse is saying, look, Jesus has already dealt with it on the cross. He's already dealt with it. He's already triumphed over it. He's already pronounced over it. It is finished. In the book of Colossians chapter 2, it's another letter that Paul writes. He, he says it's been taken away. It's been nailed to the cross. And what Paul's showing us here is like, look, Jesus is in the business of newness. He's in the business of newness where your story of failure becomes a story of his forgiveness. And if you have a perspective on people in your life that they'll never come to faith in Jesus, like they're too far gone, they've screwed up way too much, they're in too deep, the pit is too far down, the darkness is too dark, then you have a distorted picture of the gospel. We don't have a relationship with Jesus because you were born with some kind of spiritual inclination. It's because Jesus did a miracle in your life. He opened your heart and he breathed life and made you able to see. And if he did it for you, he can do it for anyone. 
the thing about God that, that's so amazing, he does his best work in the most impossible situations. So let me just encourage you, Christian, don't ever stop praying for or pursuing or inviting or investing in people who are far from Jesus. Don't ever stop that. Verse 18 and 19, look at look what Paul says. He says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I'll, we'll talk about that word in a second. That God was reconciling to the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. You want clarity on your message. It's the message of reconciliation. It's a word that means that there is a distinct change and you've been brought into favor. So the message of Christianity is that Jesus followers, Jesus has come so that we can experience a distinct change in our relationship with God, the God of the universe. And that relationship changes everything. Now, the Bible is very clear. It says, if you don't know Jesus, then you are an enemy of God. You are opposed to God. You've rebelled against a holy God. But by grace, the unmerited, unearned, undeserved, and unobligated favor of God, through faith in Jesus, confidence in who he is, enemies become friends. This is the gospel. That children of wrath, which that's what we are because, because of our rebellion against God. Children of wrath become children of God. You're brought into favor with God. You're called beloved son, beloved daughter. And for some of you, this, this is a, a huge shift for you. Let me ask you this question. When, when God sees you, how do you feel like he feels about you? When God sees you, like, how do you feel like God feels about you? Do you feel like God's, like, really disappointed in you? Like, you have the same struggle, failure, and addiction that you've had since you were in high school, middle school. I can't believe you, you made the same mistake again. I can't, I can't believe you ignore me day after day. Do you think God's just like disappointed? Like he's, he has in his mind, like he's going to disown you. When I've got three kids, when they, when they came from home from the hospital, they were like the worst roommates ever. They would wake us up all night. They wake my wife up all night. They, um, they pooped in their pants. They never talked to us. They just cry they never said thank you. They cost us a ton of money. They've still yet to pay one nickel in rent. And I love them like crazy. And, and every day, I'm like so proud to be their dad. It's like my favorite thing. And I'm, I'm a knucklehead. In fact, the Bible says you who are evil, evil dad. I don't think I'm that bad, but I am, right? Now, would you allow yourself to believe that your perfect father in heaven sees you and loves you and likes you and wants to be with you even in the midst of your mess and all your issues and he sees you and delights in you and he loves you and the Bible says he actually sings over you and he takes joy in being 
your father. How is all this possible? Paul says in verse 21, look at this. He says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Jesus never sinned. He didn't sin. He didn't commit any sin. But he was made to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness, the rightness, all the right things about God. And we might become the righteousness of God. It's this great exchange. All the ways that we fail to meet God's standard, Jesus has taken them on himself. The punishment that was rightfully ours because of our rebellion against the holy God fell to Jesus on the cross, and in turn, he gives us his perfection. It's credited to our account so that when the Father looks at us, he sees his son, Jesus. So everything that the Father feels for Jesus, he now feels for you. All the delight, all the pleasure, the the joy that he feels for Jesus, he actually now feels for you. That's the message. The message is not, hey, come to 710, join an RC, join Redemption Church, stop doing all the bad stuff that you do. The message is that Jesus Christ can make you brand new. And through him, you can be put back together with God. And it's not about you being enough for God because Jesus has already been enough for you. This is the life-changing, joy-bringing, eternity-shaping message. I want to do a little exercise, so I'm going to ask you to, to do something here to you get to play along. All right, close your eyes. Everybody, everybody close your eyes around the room. Now, I want you to think about the people that you are around all the time, the people you're around all the time. So maybe there are people that you work with, there are people that you go to school with, people in your class, people in your like, groups, projects, you know, that kind of stuff. Maybe they're people in your apartment complex. Maybe they're people in your family. And I want you to, like, as you're thinking about it, I want you to, like, really visualize their faces. Like, just bring their faces to, to mind. Now, is there anyone, as you're thinking about, like, all these different people in all these different categories, is there anyone in your mind right now that could desperately use a new start? Like, if they could just have, like, brand new life. Like, if they could have a new start. Someone that just really needs the message of brand new life and forgiveness and acceptance and hope and joy that's found in Jesus. As you're kind of cycling through these, like, faces and people, is there anyone in there that you know who is addicted, enslaved? Is there anyone that you know that's just, like, working and striving to try to earn God's approval and acceptance? And they just never feel like they've done enough. Like they always feel like they're in limbo with, with God. Is there anyone that you know that as these faces are just kind of coming through in your mind that does not yet know Jesus, that is, that's not in the room here tonight? What, what if in a month, what if in six months, a year from now, they're here with you worshiping Jesus? Again, not about getting people to 710. I don't care about that. Don't get it twisted. This is about you having a vision that is aligned with the mission of God. Now, I want you right now, just pray for them by name. Pray for them by by name right now. 
And, and then make a note to, to text them, to grab coffee with them, to start a conversation about Jesus with them. All right, look up. This is our message. Be, be clear on it. Um, this, this message is actually very difficult for me because I'm, I'm in this with you. I do not do a great job at what I'm talking about tonight. That's actually the case for most of the things I preach to you about. But with this, and, and I have felt, and I've like really wrestled with God this afternoon about this because I was like, I don't even do this, this, this well. But honestly, my wife should be the one who's, who's teaching this sermon. There's, there was this gal who is um, in her life. She goes to the gym where my wife goes to the gym. And like after classes, my wife would notice, like, gosh, she's just really kind of always like struggling. And so one day after her classes, walking through the parking lot, she sees her crying alone in her car. So she goes up and starts to talk to her and just said, hey, what's going on? You know, what's, what's the deal? And that, by the way, is like, <laughs> it's, it's way easier than, than we think. It's way easier than we think. Notice hurting people. Notice hurting people. And you don't have to go to Haiti. You don't have to go to Syria. They're right wherever it is that you go every day. You just have to notice them. She starts a dialogue with her. The gal says, my, my marriage is a mess. I'm going to get a divorce. My wife just says, can we just call time out? Can we talk? Can you, can, would you mind talking to this other lady who goes to church here? Would you and your husband want to come to church? They come to, they come to church here. They start to come to church. They go through these different kind of environments that we have, starting point, launch point, things like that. She gets saved. She comes to faith in Jesus. Lauren and I get to baptize her here. Her and her husband are now like in counseling. Their marriage is getting reconciled. Their family's put back together. Like all this like really, really cool stuff. They, in fact, they were at our house this week having dinner and um, we were we had some of our neighbors over that don't yet know Jesus, and she, she's kind of like telling and sharing the story of her life. I'm like, this is so amazing that God like just lines all this stuff up. And, you know, it all started because somebody just said, are you okay? <laughs> Can I talk to you? Can I help you? Can I love you the way that Jesus is, has loved me? So, we need a clarity in our mentality, the way that we think about people who don't yet know Jesus. We need clarity in our, in our message that God's reconciling. He's putting things back together. He's putting us back together with each other, with ourselves, and with him. And then we need to be clear on our mission. Look at verse 20. We need to be clear on our mission. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So this is, Paul's laying out for you, this is your mission. This is your mission. This is what you are to be all about, to be an ambassador. That's what Paul says. That's what you are. You're an ambassador. So what's that? An ambassador is a, is a representative. It's somebody who has authority and platform who's sent out to represent. So I have a, a friend. He's a Lululemon ambassador, which is ridiculous. But that's what he is. So Lululemon, like, they give him discount on clothes. I think maybe they pay him. I don't know. But he, and all he has to do is just put his clothes on, take a picture of himself, and it's, it's dumb. But so we understand, like, what ambassadors are, right? So, like, at, 
Instagram's like a perfect, perfect platform for this. So, so, hey guys, got this great skincare line, you should use it, right? So you know what it is. It's like out there, you're promoting, you're representing these different products and organizations and all, and all this stuff. And so what God is saying is like, look, I'm sending you into the world to represent me. You, I'm sending you into the world as an ambassador of me. God, God, what God is doing is God is making an appeal, Paul says. And he, he's making his appeal through you. I'm sending you out, he says, as a spokesperson for me. And so when you open your mouth to tell somebody about Jesus, God says, I'm speaking. You ever think about that? God says, I'm sending you out to speak people, but when you open your mouth and start to talk to people about me, I'm speaking to them. I'm working in that. Now, what with your life could you rep that is more important or significant than the message of Jesus? Some of you, like, you love the Lululemon job, and I don't blame you. I'm, I, I'm sure that's a great gig, right? God's saying, Lulu, what? I, I have something that's, like, awesome here. Now, you let people know all kinds of things about yourself. You do it. I mean, you, we, all do, we all do it, right? You let people know, like, where you're going. You let know, you, people know who you're with, right, what you like, what you eat, how many calories you burned when you work out. You, like, you let people know about everything. Is any of the stuff that you let people know about on a daily basis more important than letting people know that God is for them, that in Jesus there is no condemnation, but there's abundant and eternal life. Of all the messaging that you have with your life, of all the things that you promote with the different ways that you can promote things, is there anything that you promote that's more important than that? God, in his infinite brilliance and wisdom, wants to use ordinary you and me to do extraordinary things as we represent and talk on his behalf. It's an invitation from the God of the universe to be part of something that's bigger than yourself. It's an invitation to watch God do something supernatural and to see him rescue and save. God says, I'm inviting you into that, to be a part of that. I'm doing that in the world. You want to join me in that. You, got, you guys remember that movie Taken? Remember Taken? Yeah? A lot of big fans here, I can tell, right? So Taken, if you haven't seen it, there's a, a girl, she's abducted her dad. He has a certain set of skills. So he sets off on a journey to rescue his daughter who's being trafficked and, and enslaved. So the greatest moment of that movie is, is what, right? When Liam Neeson's, like, rescues his daughter, right? That's the, that's the best part of the whole movie. He rescues his daughter. Remember, um, like, a few years ago when there was that uh, Thai soccer team that was trapped in a cave, right? They all, like, went to spelunking, and they got trapped in there, right? The best part of that story, best part of that story is what? The Navy SEALs go in, they rescue the boys, they swim them out through the thing, and then the kids get to go home to their parents. Now, why? Why do those stories, why do they, they grip us, the, that movie, those stories? Because there's something in us that really resonates with the idea of rescue, Right? So Taken would really have not been that great of a movie to watch if she just gets abducted and he's like, eh, I told her not to go. 
right? That's what Jesus has done for us. He's come to rescue us from slavery and death, and he's returned us to our Father. And it resonates with us because we want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And that's the mission that Jesus is inviting you into. So clarity on a mentality, clarity on message, clarity on our mission. And then lastly, and we're just about done, clarity on our motivation. Turn over to Luke chapter 15. So it's going to be to the left, Luke chapter 15. And I just want to read, there's three stories um, here that I just want to work through real quick. Um, and, and this is where we find our motivation. So if we've been saying in the series, right, so if we love God, we want to love what God loves. If we say we're all about Jesus, we need to be what Jesus is all about. And in Luke chapter 15, what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to explain to people, um, particularly the religious leaders there, what he's, what he's all about. He was continually having these conversations with these Pharisees, with these religious leaders, on why he was on planet Earth. And, and in fact, if you're not familiar with Jesus, you, you should just read through the Gospel of John in particular, but read through the, the New Testament, and you'll start to see, like, oh, that's what Jesus is really about. Because people who, they, they've never really looked at the story of Jesus or have never really looked at the person of Jesus, they kind of have this assumption that Jesus was with, he was kind of against all the sinners. Like, all the people who were walking around doing bad stuff, like, those are the people that Jesus was against. But, in, but, in, but if you read the New Testament, you actually see that Jesus was against the power of the government that was oppressing people, and he was against the power of religious leaders leaders that were also ostracizing people who were on the outside. Um, and and, and the, those religious leaders, they felt like Jesus should be hanging out with them. Like, they're the ones who had all the schooling. They're the ones who knew all the stuff. Jesus, you shouldn't be with the sinners. You shouldn't be with the tax collectors. You should be hanging out with us. And they got really salty with him because they felt like, Jesus, you're hanging out with all the wrong people. But Jesus was laser-focused, laser-focused on the people who felt like they were on the outside. He's like, those are the people that I'm going after. Look at verse uh, 1 and 2, chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. Again, they're mad because Jesus doesn't give them the attention that they think that they deserve, that they think that they've earned. So he tells these three stories in a row to describe what he's up to and what he's all about. Look at verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable, story. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together. He says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So picture the scene here. Jesus, he's kind of telling these stories. There's a group of people. And in this group of people, there's, it's a wide like swath of the kind of people who would be there. So you certainly have the religious leaders over there. But a lot of times these are in agricultural communities. So you'd have some shepherds there. And so Jesus aims this particular story at those who would understand things about sheep, namely shepherds. And what you would know if you were a shepherd. I don't know if we got any shepherds in the room. Welcome. Glad you're here if we do. Um, but the thing you need to know about sheep is that they're, they're dumb. Sheep are, like, extravagantly stupid. Um, so to be called a sheep, not, not, a, not a compliment. The shepherds, you know, you've seen the kind of pictures maybe of, like, shepherds from, from the Bible, and they carry that staff. It's got that big, like, kind of hook in it thing. And, and then they, a lot of times, you know, if you've read the story, like David, for instance, they have a, they have a sling, you know, with some rocks. 
And the reason that they have that staff and the reason that they have the sling and the rocks, the staff, the, the big hook in it thing is like when, if a sheep would try to wander or go away, they'd take that hook and they'd like grab a, a, a lamb, grab a sheep by the neck and like yank them because they're so dumb. You couldn't just say like, hey, sheep, come on over here. They're not like golden retrievers. You just have to like, you have to yank them. You got to yank these sheep all over so they don't go anywhere dangerous. And the reason that they have the sling and the rock, it, it, yes, sort of to kind of ward off predators, but if a sheep starts to wander away from the flock, what, what a shepherd would do is they'd throw a rock and hit a sheep in the head. And the sheep would freak out, and then they'd just run back to the, they'd run back to the flock because they, they like, would get all confused. And, it, and a lot of times, if a, if a sheep would wander way far off, like you'd totally get away, I mean, they, were, they had no defense mechanisms, right? So not like battle sheep. They just kind of would just wander off, right? Um, and a shepherd would have to chase that sheep down, and then he would break his leg. He'd break his leg, and he'd pick him up and put him on his shoulders. So have you ever seen, like, this painting of Jesus? He's, like, got really, he's got great, like, Bon Jovi hair, gleaming white, super white teeth, you know, and he's, like, moving through the crowd with this sheep on his thing. And we think, oh, that's really precious. It's super violent. He would break the sheep's leg, and he would hold him on his shoulders. And a big part of that was that so that the sheep would get familiar again with the scent of the shepherd. And so that he'd keep him, that he'd keep him close. So when he says in here, there'd be more rejoicing to find that one wayward sheep than the 99, it's pretty offensive to the 99. Like if you're one of the 99 and you're like, why are we throwing a party? That, what, that sheep's an idiot. He wandered off. You should have just let him go. You still got 99, got 99 sheep. <laughs> <laughs> a lamb ain't one I don't know um, next story verse 8 it's getting, it's getting late okay next story suppose a woman verse 8 suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one doesn't she light a lamp sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it and when she finds it she calls her friends and neighbors together and says Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of, an, of angels, of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So again, another story that really doesn't make a whole lot of sense um, unless you understand the context there. So he has moved from like the shepherd uh, to the single ladies, all the single ladies. So in that day, in that culture, uh, if you were single, you'd have a necklace that would have 10 silver coins on it. And, and what this necklace and the 10 silver coins communicates is that this is, what you, this is what you get. So, like, fellas, you get this necklace with these coins as well as, as me. It, it, it 10 symbolizes completion, means I'm single, means I'm uh, available. So you would not, if you're single and you're trying, to, you're trying to get a man, you would not walk around with nine coins, right? So it's like... Some of you, you come here, you're not trying to show up with nine coins on. You know what I'm saying? Right? And that's good. You should. This is a great place to find, uh, to find a guy. Oh, by the way, check this story out. All right. So, no, this is crazy. So, there was a, there was a couple um, who they met at the 710 retreat, started dating. They came to 710 together. They were in RC, like did the whole thing, like served in our community. They got married, um, and they had a, a baby. 
And when the baby was born, the baby weighed seven pounds, 10 ounces. I know, right? So results may vary. But <laughs> anyway, this is a great place to find somebody potentially, right? So the whole idea, he's telling this story. And if you were a woman, you would have got that because you don't want to show up with nine, nine quid. I don't know if you've ever like lost anything that's really important. Um, to you. In, in my house, if a TV remote ever goes missing, I just like lose my mind. So I like, e everybody in the whole house has to stop what they're doing. I activate all assets and say, everybody, whatever you're doing, stop. Like we're going to find this remote right, right now. But when you lose something that's really important to you, that's what you do. You have like this heightened like sense of like, okay, I, I'm, I'm desperate to find this. Everything stops until the thing that you're missing is found. And a lot of times when we think of lost, like church people, when we think about someone who is lost, we think in terms of like good or bad. Like if they're lost, they're a bad person. If they're found, they're, they're a good person. But what Jesus is telling us here is he's saying someone who is lost is extremely valuable to God. If you're here tonight and you'd say, I'm not a Christian, I'm not a Jesus follower, you need to know from the mouth of God himself, you are extremely valuable to him. He says, everything stops for that. I'm zeroed in on what is lost. They, these, these stories, they show us the affection of God towards lost. And, and the, the last story is beautiful. I'm just going to tell it. Um, you can read it, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to tell it. Now, you have to realize this next story, okay, it's, pro it's probably familiar to a lot of you, but if you've, if you've never heard it, um, and if you've never heard it and you're in a Middle Eastern context, this story is extremely, like, scandalous, extremely uh, offensive. There's this boy, he goes to his dad, and he says, Dad, I want my inheritance, and I want it now. Now, you would never get your inheritance until after your father has died. And so for him to come to his dad and to say that, what he's essentially saying is, Dad, I know you're not dead, but I wish you were, so can you give me my money? I know you're not dead, but let's just pretend, let's just act like you're dead so that I can have my money. Now, if my kids ever came to that, well, one, they know I don't have any money, but two, let's just say, like, they come to me and they're like, hey, I wish you were dead so I could have your money. They're not getting any money, right? But the, this father in this story, he gives to his son, even though he knows his son is going to do something stupid with it. It's not like his, his son is like, hey, dad, I got this really great like, deal with Bitcoin. Can I have my inheritance so I can make a bunch of money? No, he's not going to go invest it. His dad knows you're going to go and you're going to waste it. In fact, the Bible says he, goes and he, he spends it on wild living. So this young man, he goes and he lives this life like a hip-hop video until it's all gone. And he does. He's got friends and he's got fun and he's got money and parties until the money wears out and then the friends dip, and then he's all alone, and a famine hits. And that, by the way, is what always happens in your life. There's something in your life that's outside of your control that just blows your life apart. And that's what happens here. And he, he needs a job, so he gets a job feeding pigs. Jewish boy feeding pigs. Scandalous. Can't even believe it. And there comes a point where he's so hungry, he looks at all the stuff that he's feeding these pigs, and he's like, that looks good. I could eat that. And then the Bible says something very, it's an awesome, awesome line. He says he comes to his senses. He comes to his senses. There's something that's just like, 
snaps him out of it. And it's very interesting that, you know, like, when he runs out of money, that's not the thing that does it. When the famine hits, that's not the thing that does it. When he has to take a job feeding pigs, that's not the thing that does it. But it's in this moment where he says, I could eat what the pigs are eating. He's like, what am I doing? I could go back home to my dad. I could, I could be one of his servants, and I would live better than, than this. And it's a miracle of grace. And so this is a whole other side thing. But if you ever have a moment where you just feel like God's like really shaking you, and you're like, you, you come to your senses, pay attention to that. Pay attention to that, because that is an act of God in your life. So the son prepares the speech. I don't know if you've ever been in trouble and you've, like, worked up a speech for, like, your parents or your teacher or something or, your, like, coach. or People who are married do this all the time. They, try, they, they make up speeches to explain things to their spouse. But the son, he starts to practice his speech. He's like, okay, Dad, I, I've, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. And he has this whole thing. He's like, maybe I'll just go home and I'll just say, okay, I don't deserve to be your son. I don't deserve anything, but I'll just come and I'll just work. Just let me work as a slave or as a, as a servant. So he starts practicing the speech and he starts walking home. And the Bible has this amazing picture. I love this scene. The son is on his way home and the father is like peering over the horizon on the front porch. And he sees his son kind of like crest over the hill and kind of start down the driveway towards home. And again, in Middle Eastern context, this would be just radically, radically scandalous because it says that the father takes off running towards the son, which fathers don't run. Because it meant if you have, he'd have to hike up his tunic or his, you know, his clothes so that he could run towards his father. Now think about this of your son, right? So you just asked your dad. First, you said, I wish you were dead. Can I have your money? Then you took all that money and you wasted it, completely wasted it. And now you're coming home and you just see your dad tearing down the driveway, coming after you. So how are you going to, what are you thinking? You're like, oh, this is going to hurt, right? So dad comes closer, come closer, and, and it sounds like, oh, oh, okay, maybe if I, if I duck, he's not as fast as he used to be. Maybe I just move out of the way. Maybe he won't get me. Comes out and then he thinks he's going to get slugged, and then his father does what? Embraces him. He hugs him. And, and what I love about this is the son, he actually starts to, like, tell dad the speech. He starts to kind of lay the speech out, and dad stops it. He doesn't even want to listen. He doesn't want to hear it, and he, st- and he stops the speech with a party. He says, put rings on his fingers, put him a robe, kill the best calf that we have. My son, who was, was lost, is home. He was dead. He's alive. Now, a lot of times, the story just kind of ends there when people are telling it. But that's not where Jesus ends the story. Because the father, he throws this huge party, but there's an older brother that's in the story. And the older brother has been faithful. He works for uh, his dad. He does all the things that he's supposed to be doing. He hasn't insulted his father. He hasn't wasted his money. Um, But he's also not going to the party. (laughs) And so the father has to go to the older brother, um, and he says, hey, come on. Why don't you come to the party? Also, another kind of disgraceful thing for the father to have to do is go to the older brother and invite him inside. And the older brother says, you know, you haven't thrown a party for me and my friends. I never ran away. never wasted your money. I've, I've done all the things that I'm supposed to do. You're not, you never gave me a robe, no rings. You haven't killed a big old fat calf for me. And the father says this in verse 32 of chapter 15. He says, but we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and is found. 
And Jesus finishes that story and he looks at all those Pharisees and he says, are you going to join the party or are you going to stand outside? Are you going to celebrate new life? When, when, when we had our kids, it would have been very odd if Lauren and I never told anybody, if we didn't take any pictures, if we just, if we just acted like nothing ever happened. So Jed's wife is about to have a baby like any minute now, right? So if he bolts out the door, that's why. Like if his wife Whitney just showed up one day with like a new baby, like strapped her in one of those things, like a, like a papoose. Yeah, that's what it is. I was going to say like a bomb vest, but papoose is better. And she acted like, like nothing had happened or like there was like no like announcement. You'd be like, gosh, that's really odd. Christians are people who were spiritually dead, born again, new life. What's better than that? God, God's opened a heart so that someone can respond to Jesus in a way they'd never have. And Jesus is asking us the same question. He's like, are you going to join the party or are you just going to stand outside? Are you going to make your life all about you and miss out on the ministry and the power and the presence and the momentum of the Holy Spirit in the world? Last, last story, and we're done. If I came in here one night and I was like, guys, I really need your help. Um, my, I've got three kids. They're somewhere on this campus, but they're lost, and I can't find them, and they don't really know their way around. And I have no way of, like, kind of just tracking them down on my own. So I, I could really use your help. I mean, if we all kind of leave here and go out and try to find my kids, um, I think we can do it, by, but I need, I need your help. You got to help me find my kids. So I, you know, take Charles and Eli, and we run out, and we go to try to find my kids that are lost and wandering around. And if we go out and, and one of you stands up, you're like, you know, um, I read a really great book on finding lost kids. And I'll tell you what, I'll order a bunch of copies and we'll, we'll all read that book together before we go out because we're really not equipped. We're really not equipped to be finding kids. So I think if we had a book, a really good book study on finding lost kids, that'd be a, a, be a really great step. And if, and if another person stood up and they're like, you know what, um, Connor stands up and he's like, I just wrote a great song about finding lost kids. And I think if we could just, if we sang this song, it would just get us ready to go find Paul's kids. So I wrote this song. It's, it's great. It's GCD. It's easy to sing. So let's, let's, uh, let's sing this song. And if somebody else, somebody else stood up and they're like, you know, I just don't feel like we are connected enough to be able to go out, you know, like we really need to have community with one another, like before we go out and try to find those, those lost kids. So let's just start some small groups of us, uh, and we'll just really grow in relationship with one another, and then we'll be better equipped to go find the lost kids. If I come back in here and I find all of you jacking around with that stuff, and no one's actually went out there to help me find my kids, I'm going to be fired up. What do you think God is thinking when we're just messing around? He's like, I've invited you. I've invited you into what I'm doing in this world. And you're just wasting time. God is so clear. He's so clear about what he's up to in the world. He's reaching those who don't know him. And he's saying, are you going to join me? I'm sending you out as ambassadors sending you out to represent me. Will you go?